Judaism differ from other religions. <clears throat> I'm not just going to discuss other religions, I'm going to discuss also other belief systems. And one of the first things I'm going to discuss is secular humanism, because uh, this is affecting a growing number of Jews. A growing number of Jews believe, you know, you can be secular, you can be ethical, and uh, why not? Why be Jewish? Why not just be a good person? And that's really a whole new area in terms of religion. There's a whole field of people who believe in you can be secular and you can be ethical. So humanism appeals mainly to many individuals who, though despairing in God, they build, you know, after the Holocaust, many people despaired, you know, is there a God, is there not a God? However, people believe, you know, we have to be good. I mean, look what happens when we're bad. Look what happens when the Germans became unethical. So we believe, maybe there's no God, <coughs> but still we believe that society must be good. I mean, it's so deeply ingrained into us that uh, Judaism has been teaching us for thousands of years that we're after perfection of society, that we believe you can remove one from the other. Maybe it's possible to unlink God from perfection. Maybe you could unlink uh, morality and ethics from God. So uh, that's mainly the, the purpose behind Judaism and humanism is the same, basically to improve society. The purpose is the same. So the question is, which one is more likely to realize their aim? Okay, the purpose is the same, but which one is more going to be more likely to get to the aim? It seems, and obviously uh, I'm speaking from a Jewish perspective, that Judaism is more qualified. I'm going to give reasons why Judaism is more qualified to achieve the aims than secular humanism. Humanism holds that either that morality is relative, in which case each person decides what is good and what is bad, um, or that there are moral absolutes for everyone. Everyone in the world would agree that, you know, murder is bad. It's a moral absolute in the world. In which case, what I say is a moral absolute is instead of what Moses says or God says is a moral absolute. So there's two ways of dealing with uh, secular humanism. One is morality is relative totally. I don't like something, it's no good. I like something, it's good. Or that there are certain attributes, absolutes, which everyone agrees on. Like say murder, for example, everyone agrees. The murder is an absolute not to be crossed. But then you're substituting one absolute for another absolute. I'm substituting my own absolute for God's absolute. So there's, and the lines already being a bit uh, shaky over here. What are the differences between humanism in that sense and Judaism? So since it denies the existence of God, humanism has to look at some sort of authority. Either the authority is within us, our conscience, or it's an absolute which everyone has to accept because it's so bad, you know, no one in the right minds would dream that this would be allowed. So again, we're back to defining morality. What is morality? So humanism says it's relative to a certain extent. Judaism says it's absolute from the beginning to the end. Um, so where do, where do the humanists get their moral, uh, ethical ideas from? Um, so one of the sources is from the human experience, history. Look what happens in history and you'll see certain things which were done which aren't good. 
Well, it's from the Holocaust, the humanists can understand that it's bad to kill people. It causes unnecessary suffering, pain, killing children. It's terrible. So from there we can learn our lessons from other cases in history, the Khmer Rouge, uh, anything, any other cases. Bosnia, we can learn moral and ethical lessons. That's one of the sources of morality for a secular humanist. History. The second source is reason. In other words, a person in the right mind will think the right thoughts. You know, a person with normal, intelligent person will be able to rationalize and see what is good and what is bad. Okay? So uh, what we're saying is that reason, from a person's own reason, from a person's own intellect, they can decide, they can come in along and decide what is morally right and what is morally wrong. And uh, that is something which we have to discuss what is wrong with reason? We find this in the certain cases of highly ed educated people who are evil. They have the greatest intellect. The doctors who perform experiments. Um, it's very interesting. Higher percentage of doctors than any other um, group, professional group, were members of the Nazi party. Than any other professional group. Interesting. Um, so we're trying to link reason and intellect to know knowledge of good and bad and we find we find there's a big flaw over here and maybe we could trace the flaw to what happens at the beginning of the Bible when there's a story in the beginning of the Bible the Bible tells us that there was Adam and Eve and the snake um, and the situation seems to be you know it's very childish it's brought in a very childish fashion you know, there's a tree and a fruit which people weren't meant to eat so Maimonides, when he comments on this in his book, The Guide to the Perplexed, which he wrote for the perplexed Jews of his generation, and he writes over there, he says, this garden, whatever it is, is a deep parable, that's for sure. It's not to be understood literally. But he says the snake was no other than the imagination of man. The word for snake in Hebrew is chash. What is the word to guess or to imagine? Lenachesh. Lenachesh means to imagine similar roots, so this is the capability of rationalization in man. In other words, when we start rationalizing things, we can make something bad into something good. I can make something the worst thing into a mitzvah. It comes into, in my eyes, it becomes like a mitzvah now. I've got so used to this, and I'm so enthralled with this idea that I want to change it into something bad, into something good. Like for the Nazis, killing Jews was the highest ideal. It's like a mitzvah for the Nazis. Why are you getting rid of the subhumans? You're gonna, you know, you're gonna make the world a better place. Became a mitzvah, uh, as they said. We're doing this for our children. They won't have to do this. They're waiting deep in, in blood, and they're saying we're doing this for our children. Why? They rationalized, made bad into good. And it takes great intellect to be able to do that. A person an idiot cannot rationalize. It's very interesting. One of the qualifications for a Jewish judge in the Sanhedrin's time, in the, the higher courts of Israel, in the time of the judges, was the ability to rationalize and prove how a non-kosher animal is kosher. Prove it. Bring me proofs that, a, that say a worm would be kosher. So they have to come along. This is one of the entrance exams. Why? You've got to be able to understand the psyche, the human psyche of the power of rationalization. Um, it's interesting. Freud, ten years before the Second World War, said that uh, civilization is very important because it smooths out man. It makes man passive, and makes man a better person. Being civil, um, 
and that's one of the words of the English dictionary, right? Civil, person who's civil is a person who's, you know, etiquette. He has all the etiquette. He knows how to treat other people. The most civilized society in the 30s was Germany. The most technically advanced society in, in the 30s was Germany. And that's where it came from. So just 10 years it took Freud to recant what he had said. That's what he said 10 years before, and 10 years later he was running away. His friends in Austria were some of the major leaders of, of what's going on. That's what Freud said. He says, civilization has little to fear from educated people and brain workers. Um, so therefore, he says, you can replace religion with civilization. That was the cure for religion, civilization. And ten years later, already he had to recant. He saw what happened to his beautiful civilization. It fell apart, and he had to run away. And also, his, um, his friends and neighbors were taking part in the horror. There is rarely a relationship between secular education and moral behavior. Um, so therefore, that's the second pillar of secular humanism is education. And we, we can hardly find a, a balance between the two. What is the connection between education and, uh, and uh, morality? There is none. Uh, let me give you an example. There's a, there's a lovely story of Archimedes. I think it was Archimedes. I think it was Archimedes. Um, very famous physicist. Uh, he made a law, Archimedes' law. What does that mean? What do you remember Archimedes' law? Any physicists around? Water. Water, right. So you can measure weight by displacement. Okay, the displacement of water is equal to the weight of what it displaces. So in Archimedes, it says, great scientist. Uh, everyone thought he was a great philosopher, genius. It says, one day a woman came along and she said, I'm going to make a fool of him. So the legend has it that she seduced him, and when she called everyone in, she was riding on his back. Yeah, they found the greatest philosopher of the time, you know, with a woman on his back riding around like a donkey. So here it was, we see there's no, you know, you can take a person who's a knowledgeable person, say a professor in university. Does being a professor mean that you're a moral person? And the answer is no, it doesn't prove anything. You know, the biggest professors were the most immoral people. We find this, in, this happened uh, in a previous age. So that's the second belief, the reason, education, those two things are grounds for morality. <clears throat> There's a third belief, is that humans are basically good. If you leave a child on a desert island with no influences, what's going to happen? Are they going to grow up good or not? And so this theory is, they would grow up beautiful, great, good as you know, whatever you want, righteous, sadikim, you know, be uh, the biggest sadikim around, the biggest righteous people around. Well, the Bible tells us the opposite. The second story in the Bible, anyone know? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Was there anyone else around? They're sisters. That's a midrash. Doesn't say anything. So the parents were around. They wandered off somewhere. They were doing their own thing. There was nothing around to corrupt them. It's very, very interesting. The Bible has to bring this down as a second story. The first story relates to reason. The second story relates to are human beings righteous from their birth or not? Here we have Cain killing Abel in an age where murder is unheard of. There were no TVs in those days. You can't say, you know, like we're here today, you know, the kid was influenced by TV. It was on the news this morning where a kid set fire to the house. So they blame the cartoons for making fun of fire. I don't remember the name of the cartoons. 
Uh, definitely TV is bad, no question about it. But can we just blame the TV? Or is it something innate? Is the person good inside or not? The Bible starts off, it tells us straight away, it says, Rak Rak Rayom. So it's the mind of man was evil all day. Words, we need checks and counterchecks on our nature. Without those counterchecks, a man left to his own devices or her own devices, who knows what might happen. We need checks on that. That's the third principle of, of secular humanism is the person is good from birth. Um, we're going to discuss Christianity which says the, the opposite totally. What does Judaism say? Does Judaism say a person is bad from birth? Um, Judaism says that person is an innocent, right? We're born innocent, but we have the capacities for good and bad. So well, what was this rock, rock? What was that? The from? mind of man was full of evil. Well, where is that from? That's the Bible says in, part, in last week's uh, Seder of Noah. It says well, a Jewish that story. generation was destroyed. Yeah. Why? Because they had too much time in their hands. So that's the. No, but isn't that the Jewish view then? No, that's not the Jewish view. The Jewish view is we're born in innocent. Torah, right? No. The question is, are we born like that, or do we develop like that? And that's the question. Okay, so we develop like that, come along and say our inclination is good. No, but we're talking about the inclination. Is the Jewish view based on that rock, rock? Yeah, the Jewish view is the inclination is bad, whether we're born innocent. Whereas prior to that, we have no history. Um, the uh, secular view is that our inclination is good, and left to our own devices would be good. The Jewish inclination, the Jewish Judaism says that left to our own devices would be bad. Like Cain, left to his own devices, turned out first murderer. The generation of Noah, left to their own devices, terrible things happening. And we're seeing it today. This is the, the foundation of this school system is that the kids don't have to be taught morality. Why? Because innately they're good. That's why they're not taught morality in schools. In Jewish schools, where it's delineated, you know, you have to be good, or the, you know, the commandments are given to us not to steal, not to commit adultery, all these are instilled into children when they're young. In a secular system, these things are banned. They're religion. It's a religion already. How do you decide what's good and bad? Innately, from your family, you know, from reason, from civilization. Those are the sources, hopefully, that people will learn good, good and bad. And we're seeing it's falling apart around us. Um, so, um, so given to the massive cruelty of human history, particularly the butchery of the century, <coughs> which is not coincidentally the most irreligious in history, the century we're living in the most irreligious century in history. You know, just a hundred years ago, everyone went to church on Sundays. All the Christians went to church, all the Muslims, there's a revival in, in Islam today. All the Muslims went religiously to mosques, all the Jews definitely went to the synagogues. hundred years ago, that's all. About a hundred years ago. Um, and uh, today, this generation is probably the most irreligious in the whole history of man. To probably the Stone Ages or whatever it was. I'm sure they believed in their own uh, forms of religion as well. But this century has been the most, also the most tragic in terms of uh, events which have happened and are still happening around us. It's been the most tragic in terms of human life which has been lost. It's uh, not coincidental. So therefore, to come along and say after Holocaust, you know, I don't believe in God. Okay, fine. Do you believe in man? How can you be a secular humanist and believe in the potential of man? Who killed people? Was it God or was it man? Come on and say, look, I believe in the innate goodness of man after the Holocaust, which was committed by man, does not make sense. Why is that? Why is that the reason education and 
human ins the insights of human behavior are not good enough moral guidelines and the answer is because history is not moral history is amoral in other words there's no moral thread lying through history what, what, what can we learn from history? Usually one thing, and that was Hitler's major, major theory, that might rules. Who was the major empire of the last century? Britain, right? Who is the major empire of this century? America. Why? Who has the biggest army in the world today? What do we learn from history? What are the lessons of history? If a child learns history, what does he see? Uh, I don't know if you learned, I learned English history, so in the 18th, 19th century English history, there's a guy called Palmerston, he was the Prime Minister of England. He had a thing called a gunboat policy. If you, anyone showed their faces, you know, we'd send the gunboats over, give them a few blasts of the, of the guns, and you know, that's the end. The natives, the natives would be quiet after that. They wouldn't have any more trouble. That's how the British are in Hong Kong. They have a 99-year lease. Uh, that's how they got Hong Kong out of the Chinese. That's how they conquered the world. So what, what does a kid learn from history? Uh, basically, the might is right. The might, you have might, you win. That's it. That's it. We see it around us. The big nations are bullying the little nations, and that's what. Uh, that's how. That's how history is, is being taught, and that's how. That's what history is all about. That's the basic bottom line of history. So, how can we come along and learn morality from history? Where does it say in history that you you shouldn't do these things? Where should it say you shouldn't be the victor? Where, sh where should it say, where does it say that might is not right? Like it tells you what happens, but where is the bottom line? Where does it judge it? Where does it say it's wrong? Um, so how can a person learn history? So history is amoral. History does not teach us morality. Education is amoral. How can a person learning physics come along and say, you know, I learned, you know, how much ethics I learned from physics. I mean, you don't believe, you know, there's electrons spinning around the atom. You know how moral that is? You know how much ethics I learned from that? Um, I'm learning about the weather. What morality can you learn from the weather? There's hurricanes blowing, you know, blowing people around and uh, floods uh, drowning people. What, what can you learn from that? Again, might. It's all a question of might. You know, things which are powerful. Powerful forces of nature can push man around. So again, what can we learn from, from uh, knowledge? What kind of knowledge are we talking about? It's definitely not knowledge which is not moral knowledge. Mm -hmm. There has to be a new kind of knowledge developed which is called laws of ethics, ethical behavior, which should be taught in schools. If you're not going to teach religion, at least teach you know, some kind of ethical system which is usually based on religion, if not religious in nature. Um, the third thing is, which... Um, is human nature, we've discussed that already. Human nature is amoral because reason is amoral. A person can rationalize even the worst things and make out it's a good thing. You know, I did a good thing. Um, and we find this in the Bible itself. We find the story of King David. The Bible tells us that David sinned. What did he do? The Bible tells us it doesn't mince any words. He married. He took a woman who was married already. Bathsheba. Um, that's what, that's what it gives us literally, that's the literal view, that she was a married woman, he took her. And uh, the prophet Nathan comes to him, he says, David, he says, I want to ask you a question. Now here we're talking about the king of Israel, um, the ruler of the land, 
the prophet was a bit careful how he approached him. So he approached him. He said, "I'm going to tell you a story." He says, "Tell me what you think." He says, "There was a very rich man who had many sheep and many cows, and there was a poor man who only had one cow. And the rich man one day had a guest. And he took the poor man's cow. He says, "Look, I'm not going to ruin my cow. I'm going to take the poor man's cow, slaughter it, and give it to my guest." Um, what should be done with this rich man? So David says, he says, the guy is a murderer. He's taken away the sustenance. In those days, he's live. Of one cow, a person can live. You know, you, you drink the milk, you sell the milk. You have the children, you sell the progeny. So they used to live off the cow. He says, you, you take, he's taken away the livelihood of one of that person. That person's going to die now. There was no welfare state at that time. He's going to die. He's a murderer. Kill him. The prophet says, you are the guy. That's what you've done. You've taken away one guy's wife. And you've taken him for yourself. You have many wives. Why do you do that? So the question Maimonides asks is, the parable doesn't really fit the crime. The crime was he took the wife for himself. The parable is the rich man takes the sheep, the, the cow, for his guest. So what is the idea behind it? The idea is, the prophet is telling him, look, the poor man, the rich man took it for his guest. In other words, in his mind, he's doing a big deed. He's feeding his guest. Whereas you also rationalize. What are you doing? I'm doing it for her sake. Why am I doing it for her sake? I'm the king. I'm elevating her. I'm giving her a benefit of being the king's wife. I'm elevating her. I'm even elevating a former husband. Why? Because he's going to get, people are going to say, look, his wife's messing with the king. Don't mess with him. She has, she has protection in the king's palace. So I'm elevating. I'm doing a big mitzvah. I'm going to do a good deed over here. So that's the power of rationalization. And that's the power of rationalization. We also lead to the first sin with man. What does it say? It says she saw the tree was good and it was beautiful. And it already affected the way she looked at it. If it's beautiful, how can it be bad? If it's so good and you know we get so many benefits out of it, how can it be bad? How can it possibly be bad? And that's a rationalization already, which unfortunately which we're all capable of. Um, Secular humanism does offer some ethical values which have been part of Judaism for thousands of years and already they've, they've taken it, adopted it, and you know, this is already part of secular humanism. But there are four main things, main areas which uh, Judaism has which uh, secular humanism doesn't have. One of them is a system of laws. Judaism has the widest range of ethical laws in the history of man. Because there's no other religion on earth today or ever which has got more widely legislated ethical laws than Judaism let me give you an example a small example you go into a store to buy something right if your intention is not to buy anything you're not allowed to waste that guy's time in fact you shouldn't even be in the store because the minute you walk in if the guy's the owner of the store he says hey he says to himself he says hey here comes another buyer you're raising his hopes the minute you walk out you're dashing his hopes. Judaism legislates a person not allowed to do that. What is it? Tiny. What have you done? Have you taken anything from him? Don't take anything from him. You're raising his hopes. The laws of gossip. I defy you to find me any more works in any other religion, any other uh, humanistic value system anywhere, which has got more material on the laws of gossip than Judaism. Books and books and books about laws of gossip. It's called Lashonara. The three different levels of gossip. The first one is Motsi Shemra, which is bringing out a false report on a person. 
telling utter lies, which are rubbish and lies, which are bad. That's the worst, obviously. It's lies and it's bad. Second level is Lashon Hara, which is called Lashon Hara, which is bad but true. Nevertheless, forbidden. But it's true! Nevertheless, that is the definition. Lashon Hara, that's bad speech. The third one is, the lowest one is uh, Avak Lashon Hara, which is the dust of Lashon Hara. What does that mean? Hints. person walks in, you wink at someone. Yeah, you're just winking, you know, this guy walked in, he's no good. Just winking. He didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. It's the dust of Lashon Hara. There's other things which, which are legislated. Robbing someone's sleep. Um, you know, I had a case in Vancouver. Uh, when I first moved there, I was living in a condo. And uh, we had, my neighbor and myself, we had different hours. Uh, I had little kids who were up early in the morning, you know, 7 in the morning, they're running around. She had a stereo which was up usually at 3 in the morning, 3 a.m., you know, they were having a party till 3 a.m. So one thing what happened is, I had a guest over there who couldn't take any more. I didn't call the police, I knew, you know, it's no, no use, you know, I'm going to start enmity with your neighbor. So he called the police, he couldn't take any more, he called the police, the police went to the door, knocked on the door, uh, you know, cut down, can he turn down the noise? Said, well, yes, kids running around at 7 o'clock in the morning. So, I can play my music at 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, if they offend me, I can offend them. Okay, there's laws in Judaism against robbing someone's sleep. The question is, what about someone who sleeps late? I don't know. That's, uh, that's a problem. <laughs> okay, so a person has to not rob. There's another law which is, which is not legislated anywhere. There's an interesting blessing in the Bible. It talks about Bilam. Bilam was a non-Jewish prophet who came, was hired to curse the Jews. In the end, he blessed the Jews. One of the blessings he says was, Matovu Ohalecha Yaakov. He says, How beautiful are your tents, Jacob. So commentary say, What did he see in the tents of Jacob which weren't in any other tents? He said he saw that the windows weren't facing each other. What does that mean? That means there was no intrusion on someone else's privacy. There's a thing in Jewish law called Hezek Ria, damage from eyes. Because if you want to open a window on your property, you've got to be. Again, this is legislation going back thousands of years. And if I find something like that thousands of years ago, um, <coughs> the ideas of respect for the individual. One idea which is unbelievable is the idea that a king is below the law. Thousands of years ago. An idea called the constitutional monarchy, which was just recent, uh, 200-year-old invention in England. So that's a system of ethical laws. The idea that people should respect their parents. Think about that. I mean, Jews are brought up with that idea. I mean, today society is falling apart all around us, uh, and uh, this idea is just out of the window. Respect the teacher. Go and look in the schools around us and see how many people respect their teachers. You know, Jewish law: a person has to stand up for their part, for their teacher when they walk in. Uh, this used to be the law in all schools. When you grow up, do the people stand up for the teachers? Oh, stood up. What happens today? They stand up. They don't even say good morning. They shoot the teacher. Okay. So that's a, it's a big system of ethical laws. One of the widest systems of ethical laws um, is the systems in Judaism, or just in ethics. Um, the second difference is a system of ethical laws based on God. Why is God essential to ethical ethicism? Why is God essential to an ethical system? Any ideas? Well, you have to have an ultimate source. Why? Otherwise, it's it's relative. Right. Okay. Very good. 
There's a guy called Bertrand Russell, heard of him? Very big English philosopher. He was a complete atheist, secular, totally. He says, he says, you know, he says, I have problems, he says, to discuss the Holocaust, he says, to say the only thing I don't like about it is because I don't like it. To say it's wrong because I don't like it, you know, I feel like it's not enough. It's just not enough to come along and say, you know, it's wrong because I don't like it. Who am I to say I don't like it? So it's become all relative. Every, every person can say, look, we can argue with government, really. Why do you say it's wrong? I think it's right. Why say robbery is wrong? Maybe it's right. Um, let's take a vote. Let's pass a law that robbery is... You know which country did that? Which place did that? Saddam. Saddam. Iraq, or whatever. Uh, invade other people's country. It's a mitzvah, you know. You go ahead. It's a big, it's a big, big deal. What about cruelty? Cruelty, same yes. thing. It becomes legislated. You can do anything you want. But it's wrong because it's cruel. Who says? Who says? What's cruel? What defines? Who defines what's cruel? Pain is cruel. Is it to who? Pain. To a fetus? Relative. It's relative. It's relative. It's relative. So how far do you go? Animals. How far do you go? Where do you draw lines? If there's no God, then everything becomes, you know, I like this, you don't like this, let's take a vote, let's go with majority opinion. The only thing is, if there is an absolute, whose absolute is absolute? Okay, very good. That's the okay, question. Very good. Very good. And who has the real absolute? Excellent. Me or my Muslim neighbor or my friend? Excellent. Excellent. That's what we're discussing. No. We're discussing the differences between them. Okay, and then we can decide. First we have to know what differences are, and we can decide it. So what I'm talking about now is the difference between secular humanism, I haven't got to Christianity or Islam. Um, I don't know if I'm going to have time today, I probably will get to Christianity at least. Um, but let's discuss you know, differences first, then we can decide what, which way we're going. So we discussed secular humanism so far, we're talking about what's absolute and what's relative. We have to agree that relativism is no good, because then who says you're right, who says I'm right? It's all relative. Then we're all deciding for ourselves. Let's take a vote. Let me give you an example. It may not be such a good example. Uh, 150 years ago, if you ended up in the Pacific Islands, in the West Pacific, uh, you know, around Australia, um, you know, most likely you'd end up, you'd probably end up in someone's pot, because they, these guys were cannibals. They used to eat people. The first missionaries who got there, you know, usually ended up in the pot before they converted them, and they changed <laughs> them. They usually ended up in the pot. Now you try and tell them, you know, it's wrong. Ended up in the pot before they converted them and they changed them. <laughs> they usually ended up in the pot. So now you try and tell them, you know, it's wrong. What do you mean? This is our society. It's built on. Everyone's doing this. What do you mean it's wrong? There's a beautiful story in the Talmud. It talks about one rabbi who says only three people ever beat him in an argument. It says one of the stories is, you know, he's walking down the street and he had to turn the corner, so he decides he's going to take a shortcut through someone else's field. So he's taking the shortcut through the field and he sees a little girl over there. And uh, the girl says, Rabbi, he says, this is someone else's field. What are you doing here? You're trespassing. He said, look, he says, there's a pathway right through it. Many people have been through here as well. They're all thieves like you. It doesn't make it right if everyone's doing it. Um, the second uh, second story which he, he discusses is he says he's walking down the street again comes to a fork in the way. 
and he, he doesn't know which way to go to this town. So he asked the child sitting over there, he says, child, tell me, he says, which way to this town? The child says, well, he says, this is the long and the short way, and this is the short and the long way. He says, well, he says, this kid must be mixed up. So he's long, short, short, long. So he says, I'll go the short, long way. So he goes the short, long way. It's very short. He can see the town, but there's a big gap in the road, and he can't travel any further. So it turns out it's a very long way. He goes back, and he goes, so he says, look, he's got to go the short, long way. So it's a long, short way. So he goes a long way around, but eventually gets to his destination. So this is the same way. The moral behind the story is the two ways and paths in life sometimes. Sometimes we cut corners. It turns out to be the long way around. We're trying to take shortcuts. Um, we're trying. Sometimes you speed. You get caught by a policeman. You end up waiting you know, for a ticket and everything, and the hassle and the pain becomes a long way around. So that's uh, the moral behind it. That's the idea. In words, everything is relative. Once society dictates something, it says this is okay. It doesn't mean it's okay. I'll give you an example. Brain death. Okay, what is brain death? What happened? There's such a thing called heart transplants. We discussed it. We talked about heart transplants a few years ago now. Three, two years already. Uh, heart transplants were an invention of Dr. Christian Bernard. Right? You know, when he invented heart transplants, Jewish law says it's a double murder. Why? Because you had to take the heart out of the body while it's still beating. They couldn't leave it. So they would take it out, you know, the guy was pronounced dead. So that's when they invented the fiction of brain death. Because you had to take the heart out while it's still beating. But the guy's still alive, it's murder. So you come along and invent a new term called brain death. Why? The guy's brain is dead. Now, now he's not dead, now it's not murder, now we can take out his heart. Um, so that's again, that's, again, it's a relative statement now. We have a problem. We'll give it to the ethicist. Let the ethicist solve it. How are they going to solve it? They're going to come and rationalize, you know. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. That's a different topic. But come and rationalize. It's a very nice way of rationalizing, right? You have to admit. I need to take out someone's heart. The guy's heart is still bumping. Still technically has a life. What I'm going to do? Oh, but his brain's dead. He must be dead. Now let's come along and say, look, um, uh, this has been extended to other things as well. And we're going to discuss this on a different uh, course. <coughs> the third difference is a system of ethical laws binding upon an entire people. So now, since we have a codified ethics and we have a higher source, we can come along and say, you know, you have to do this. Why? Because the higher source says so. Because we can make it binding now. But for a secular humanist to come along and say, you know, you should do this because I say so. You should, you should do this because we say so. What's more binding? What do you think people are more likely to follow? Huh? As opposed to God says so. It depends on, it depends on who. But today, I think it's more God. Why we? We is when the police is watching. When the police is not watching, we're not scared of the police. Law and order breaks down. Is that true or not? It's getting to be that way. It's getting to be that way. But if everyone believes in God, and they're scared of God, God is everywhere, then it's, it's more enforceable. The system is more enforceable. So that's the third argument for Judaism, is that God's will is more enforceable than come along and say, just like Bertrand Russell put it, said it's more enforceable, it feels better to say, you know, God doesn't like it, than say, I don't like it. So should a humanist perpetrate evil, what can we say to him, you know? Human experience says, don't do this. You know, reason says, don't do this. The editor of the humanist says, don't do this. Or we say, God says, don't do this. You know, what, what seems more uh, powerful? 
Um, the fourth difference is a way to transmit the system of ethics. Right? There's a very important law in Jewish law which is called Talmud Torah. What does Talmud Torah mean? It means learning Torah. In fact, I'm going to discuss this and one of the differences between Christianity and Judaism. One of the differences is action. It speaks louder than words. But words bring to action. And belief is last. In the Jewish level, you have Talmud Torah, you have learning, you have action, you have belief. Those three things. Where do we put belief? Last. Talmud says it's better to learn even with no belief because then a person will start to believe. There's a person with a low level of belief. He shouldn't say, you know, I don't believe, I'm not going to do anything. Don't learn. Start learning, start educating, start doing. And finally, the person will start believing. Um, this lovely story, I don't know how true it is, this lovely story about a professor in Israel. He went to the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, he says, tell me, he says, what are these black boxes a man has to wear every day? Or to fill in? He says, yeah, what is it? You know, tell, me, tell me the reason. So the rabbi is a bit smart guy, he says, just first wear it, put it on for a month, and come back and ask me a question. I want to see a bit of action from you. So the guy started putting it on, it's just like interesting, so he says, I'm going to put it on, might as well go to synagogue and put it on over there. So he starts going to synagogue, and when he's going to synagogue, you know, you might as well pray, everyone's praying around me, I might as well pray as well. So he starts praying, and then he's praying for a month now, he says, wait, he says, I feel better, you know, meditating one hour in the morning, it's really helping me a lot. So I'm going to wait till I go back to the room. I'm going to wait, you know, I'm going to try it out a couple more months. He never went back. So the rabbi met him on the street, he says, what happened to you? He said, I'll wait for you after a month, I told you. So look, he says, my question was answered. I understood by myself, you know, that this is the way we're binding ourselves to God. We, you know, there's deep symbolism over here. I didn't have to ask you anymore. So we have a way of transmitting. For thousands of years, Jews have transmitted these values. It's very interesting. There's a, a French psychologist who said a very interesting thing. He says, there's a big difference between Judaism and other religions in terms of cruelty. He says, and he pointed down, he says, the difference is that when my mother wanted a chicken, she would go into the backyard and strangle it with her own hands. And we were watching her. When a Jew wants a chicken, what do they do? Don't kill it yourself. It's no use. Hunting in Jewish law is bad. There's no use. There's no point hunting. It's irrelevant. Why you can't eat the meat? What's the use of hunting it? I can't kill an animal. Have to give it to a special person. Who is that person? A shocher. What is the, what is the attribute of a shocher? What is the qualifications? What qualifies him to be a shocher? What is the first thing we check out before we, we hire him? Does he fear God? Was, is he a moral, ethical person? He's a guy who steals and robs the bank. That's a Shomer Shabbos, isn't it? Well, that's part of it. If we know this guy's a robbed the bank, or he cheats on his wife, we're not going to hire the guy. We need this, the ethical part as well as other parts. Only the most ethical person can slaughter an animal. Because that's got ingrained cruelty. It's not ethical from the beginning. That guy's finished. To have people go around and kill their own animals, today we're fortunate. Why? Because most people don't kill their own animals. We're very fortunate. We don't know how much this is changing. So what we do is instead is we put the TV in the house where they show us killing people instead. So instead of the kid seeing his mother uh, killing an animal, the kid sees people on TV killing other people, which is blowing them up. So, we have to have a means of transmitting ethic, ethical uh, system. So Judaism has the means, it's called Talmud Torah, teaching Torah, learning Torah. So we transmit the ethical values through that system. How do secular humanists transmit their system? 
very hard for them. They don't have any inbuilt system. There is no widespread system. Okay, so that's something which we have to examine. These differences, uh, that's the difference between, between uh, secular humanism and Judaism. Let's now discuss Christianity. Since we're living in a Christian society, let's try and discuss the difference between Judaism and Christianity. And basically, it can be summed up in one line, which is faith over action. The major principle of Christianity is faith. Because if you believe, you are saved. That's what you have to do. The worst guy in the world, if he's believed, is saved. You know, there's an interesting story, true story, of the, uh, what's it called, the Central Park Rapist. Remember that jogger who was jogging around? The Central Park ra Rapist? Uh, they caught the guy, they caught the gang, there's a gang of people, the gang of youths, and they put him in jail. You know what happens next? The Archbishop of New York goes to visit them and says, you know, I just want to tell you one thing. God loves you. The only thing I want to tell you is that God loves you. Right? Because I don't care whether you're bad, I don't care whether you're good, I don't care what you do. God loves you. All you have to do is believe. That is the fundamental of Christianity. Judaism says no. You did something disgusting. God doesn't love you right now until you change. If you change, if you remedy the situation, if you become a different person, then God loves you. It's interesting. Beautiful idea. The idea of Abraham. What was Abraham's name? Anyone know? What was his previous name? Abraham. 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 Without the hay. God changed his name. It's a very interesting concept in Judaism, the idea of changing a name. Anyone heard of a Jewish law which says you have to change someone's name? Anyone known of it? Right. There's a law in, Jew in Jewish law which says if you want to, if someone is very sick and there's no other recourse, doctors give up hope. What do they do? They change the guy's name. What does that symbolize? Maimonides says in Laws of Repentance, it says when a person repents and changes their ways, in effect they're changing their name. Because what does a name signify? The reputation of an individual. Because how do I know you? I know you by your name, but I know you by your reputation more than your name, right? Um, first question is, is this guy a good guy or a bad guy? You know, that's the question people ask. Is he a, you know, I want to associate with someone. Ask his friends, is this, is this guy a nice guy or not? Today they'll say, is he a cool guy or not? You know, what does that mean? Who knows? <clears throat> but the reputation is really the name. It says, Abraham's name was changed. It means his reputation changed. From Avram, which is a nobody, doesn't mean anything, to Abraham, which means the father of the nations. Very big change of name and reputation. People started respecting him. Everyone else started respecting him. He changed his own name. And God says, I agree, your name has changed. There's another concept which King Solomon says. In, par in parables, he says, Tov Shem, Meshem and Tov. He says, better to have a good name than have good oil. Because the Arabs have a good a lot of good oil, right? <laughs> but who has a good name? Who has a good reputation? He says, that is the main thing. It's not the oil you have. It's how much oil you have. It's reputation. In this world, at least. Huh? In this world, it's helpful. It's, it's oil? oil. <laughs> right. That's the fallacies of our moral values. Because why? Because what do we teach our children? What's important in this world? Money. Money. Power. Prestige. Honor. Right? These are all the values which Judaism teaches us.
who is the best who is the biggest person in, Jew, in, in, the, in the Bible who gave us the Bible What does it say about Moses? He never made it to Canaan. <laughs> say that. I don't he was humble. He was poor. He was the most humble of all men. And we say King Solomon. You know, he's one of the richest, right? Right. And what happened to him in the end? What happened to him? What happened to King Solomon? Good point. I don't know. He died. It's the Bible ends up he sinned. He rebelled against God in his old King age. Solomon? King Solomon. In his old age. Yeah. Because yeah. it went to his head. Doesn't say anywhere that he was the most humble person around. But humility is an attribute. Maimonides, when he talks about attributes, we discussed his personality development. We had a whole series on it. We we talked about Maimonides says basically a person has to be in the golden mean. It says between all the different attributes, there's always a golden mean. Um, a person should not be too angry, not get angry every little minute. But on the other hand, it shouldn't be like a stone, because the people could take advantage of it. And sometimes you have to lose your temper to teach people a lesson. It shows a bit of bit of temper, don't do this to me, you know, you don't have no right to do this to me. Um, on the other hand, when it comes to pride, he says, go to the other extreme. A Jew should not be proud. We should be humble to the nth degree. It's a total opposite of today's value system. Imagine, I'm running for president. What do I say? I'm the most qualified guy for this job. Why? Because I have a degree in this, a degree in that. I'm, you know, I've been, I'm a governor of here, a governor of there. I'm doing this. And what did Moses say? I don't want this job. Seven days you argue with God. I don't want this job. Don't give me the job. Okay, let's talk about Christianity. So we're talking about faith over works. So we're talking about, we said how important it is to learn. Knowledge is very important. We said how action is very important. Judaism puts little stress on faith. How many commandments are there in Jewish law? 613. 613? So many. Shoot. Uh, 613 laws how many deal with belief? Um, Shema would be the, uh, it and that the first commandment of the Ten Commandments I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt second one no other gods is there any else?
Judaism the 